about Discovery Edition. This week we're going to be talking about Episode 8, C.V. Packham Parabellum. The episode title is a Latin, ad- Latin adage, which often translates to, if you want peace, prepare for war. Pretty perfect for this episode, but obviously, as always, I can't do this alone because one brother would just be weird. So everybody say hello to my brother, Ken, in Houston. Say hello, Ken. Live long and prosper. That's right. Well, we are back to talk about this episode. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, a lot of fun in this episode. We get a lot of cool stuff with Saru. Plus, we get some changes for some people in their uh, attitudes, especially Saru. Uh, we get uh, to develop a little bit more on the uh, Tyler Burnham love story. So, uh, a lot of good stuff. But speaking of Tyler, let's talk this week about Shazed Latif. That's right. He's the guy who plays Ash Tyler. He was born in London in July 1988, and he is a mix of English, Scottish, and Pakistani descent. Isn't that interesting? Uh, many of you would know him from uh, the Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, uh, also from the TV shows Toast of London and Penny Dreadful. Uh, Penny Dreadful has been on my list of shows to watch for a very long time because I've heard so much great stuff about it. Just haven't been able to get it. I'm hoping that it's going to be part of my uh, binge watch, uh, binge watch over next summer. That's my hope. I'll be able to get to that then. He studied at the Bristol Old Vic Theater School, but then left early because uh, he got his first television role. And uh, that's about all we got on uh, Shazad Latif. He's a young guy, you know. He's only like 30 years old, so not a lot to his uh, career so far. But what I do want to mention, since we're talking about his character, Tyler, is that there's this crazy fan theory out there that Ash Tyler is actually Voke, pretending to be a human. I think that is ridiculous. But what about you, Ken? What do you think of a crazy speculation like that? Yeah, I, I'm not buying it. You I mean, that would, the surgery itself would, like, take forever. Right. Well, so one of the things that's, that's different about Klingons today than they were, say, at a time for Tribbles. Uh, yes. Is that Klingons look so much different. You know, in a world in which you've got, whether it's the Klingon augments or whether Klingons just don't look that different because the makeup's too expensive, the idea of a Klingon looking like a human was kind of like shaving a haircut. Right. And that's not the case anymore. So... You know, while it's certainly possible, it seems highly implausible. And they're doing so many other things with the character that if they were playing that, that would be a long, long, you know, kind of a surprise for the audience. Now, to be fair, we haven't seen Voke in like four weeks since Laurel, which is longer in, in, in showtime. But, we, but, you know, Laurel, who was the captain of that ship, you know was taking Voke away to do something we don't know. 
We haven't seen Volk in a while. We don't know what he's up to. So maybe this is the way they're leading into those crazy uh, Klingons from the uh, from the original series. Alrighty. Well, with that little bit out of the way, let's get to it. Captain's log. Stardate. It's five-year mission. So we hit our uh, previously on. This week uh, talks about the war. Talks about uh, people Lorca can trust. And also reminds us that that admiral, uh, Cornwell, was uh, abducted. Oh, yeah, that happened. And again, no cold open. We're going right into the credits this time, folks. So we start musically with this uh, nice war march that uh, you would think would be for the Klingons, but instead it's the uh, Katarn under attack from some Klingons. Discovery shows up. Uh, what we hope is in just the nick of time. They fight, but have have trouble as birds of prey keep cloaking and uncloaking and firing at the Katarn. Uh, then plus there's this like magical destroyer that shows up that is doing mega damage and it cloaks and disappears. The fight continues. Discovery is down to 32% shields. They try to move Discovery in between in between them and the Gagarin. The Gagarin. The Gagar- What's the name of that ship? Yes, the Gagarin. I'm saying Katarn. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. Star Wars. Yeah, well, Are the uh, Katarns the uh, espionage people who gave Riker the game? <laughs> that's, uh, that's too deep for me, sir. I was making a Star Wars <laughs> reference because there's a character named Kyle Katarn. So, uh, anyway, so uh, they tried to move the Discovery in between him and the Gargon. Gar- Gar- Gargon? The Gargon. And, uh, and uh, it takes a torpedo. Now they're down to 12% shields. But did they get the second one? No. The second torpedo destroys the Gargon. Dun, dun, dun. Lorca turns around and says there will be time to grieve, but now is not that time. Base 4 drive out of there. And then he says, I want a full damage report. Meanwhile, in engineering, Stamets looks a little, <laughs> little less for wear. He walks out of the, the pod and he calls Tilly, the captain. She questions him. And then suddenly, pr- his prickly attitude returns. Uh-oh. Things aren't going well for Stamets, that's for sure. Meanwhile, Lorca is uh, pissed. And he's yelling at the Klingon, or not the Klingon, <laughs> the Vulcan envoy about, uh, about backup. Where was it? But the Gargon wasn't the only ship. We found out that there was another ship that was taken out by the House of Cole, and that it has apparently shared its cloaking, uh, its cloaking technique with anyone who will give him fealty. Soon every Klingon will have a ship with cloaking. Uh-oh. Lorca's new mission is to find a way to detect the cloaked ships. Later... We find that uh, Burnham and Saru and Tyler have uh, traveled to uh, Povon, or Pavon, Pavon, that's what it is, has traveled to Pavon in hopes of finding a natural electromagnetic use to uh, create their own version of sonar. So we kind of get that in, uh, I can't remember, do we get that in Balance of Terror? Do they have like a sort of a sonar thing where they can find the, the Klingon ship when it's cloaked? No, it, it takes them a while before they finally... The, the time when, when they were able to do stuff like that was in Star Trek Six, When they, you know, gotta have a tailpipe. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, okay, so let's see. So we find out a little bit more about the Kelpians here. 
We find out there about their extrasensory provisions for hearing and seeing predators up to uh, 10 kilometers away. They've also been clocked uh, running away from predators at 80 kilometers an, uh, an hour. Must be those hooves, right? That's not being specious, by the way. That's, that's, just, that's just a fact. That's just, it's the hooves that make them run so much faster. And we already know about the threat ganglia as well. So, you know, all of these things help the Kelpians uh, <laughs> stay away from predators very easily. Uh, the unfortunate side effect, of, of course, is that the sound or the music that the trees are giving off in this, uh, on this planet is sort of disconcerting to poor Saru. The trees then drop some sort of magical pollen that come together to form a spirit to which they can talk to. Saru makes first contact as a first contact specialist, and uh, they are asked to follow the spirit. Only then do they find themselves surrounded by a few of these creatures. Then, for the first time in a few episodes, we're back to the uh, gang of Klingon thrones. Lorel appears in front of Cole, her face scarred from where Lorca had shot her in the face. She flatters Cole by telling him that uh, that uh, her and her house have sworn themselves to him. But his response is, uh, says, I don't want unity. I seek only Klingon supremacy under my rule. Well, what an a-hole, huh? She offers her house as part of the clan. He says her loyalty is not enough. So she offers her skills as an interrogator and says, My spies have heard that you have a, uh, a prisoner that won't talk. He says, If you can find me something that will add to my glory, I will consider your request. Commercial. So I guess we have to assume at this point that Laurel has another use for the Admiral. Because, you know, she's a devious schemer, this one, Laurel. Back at it. We're back on Pavo. Uh, following the spirits with Burnham, Saru, and Tyler. They attempt to communicate. Saru touches the spear, spear creature and then pulls away. They ask, are you hurt? He says, no, it's not painful. It's just disorienting. He thinks he can cu- communicate with it or them. They speak of Directive 1, which we now know is the Prime Directive. She says, no, we are well, pa- well past the uh, first contact protocol, which means that we can't touch the natural crystal transmitter without them understanding or agreeing. They have to agree. Back to the Klingons, we find Laurel entering the Admiral's cell. She tells Cornwall to, Cornwall to scream. The Admiral refuses. So Laurel screams at her, and then Cornwall screams back. The warriors eye each other. Lorel then says, Good. You are convincing. The god has left, and now we can talk. Back to Pavo. It's night. Burnham and Tyler are here talking. You know, getting to know each other, like they do. Tyler shares his hope for the future, of living off somewhere and fishing and having a log cabin. Burnham, Burnham, unfortunately, sees her future and in prison. She says she's still, uh, her sentence is still for life. He says, well, then maybe this war will keep raging. And she says, but the needs of the many, Tyler says, are worth fighting for. But so are the needs of the few, or the one. And then they kiss. So here we go. We got a nice reference to uh, Star Trek II, my favorite Star uh, Trek movie. We also get this contemplation of the future. And we have these characters 
a lot of them with the uncertain future. So in one sense, we've got Ash, who's a prisoner of war. We've got Michael right. Burnham, the mutineer. And we've got Stamets, who's been doing the genetic engineering thing to make this four drive work. Not only that, too, but Lorca, you know, because the Admiral threatened right. to uh, take his command. And, and really, I mean, for him as well, even if things worked out okay for him, what would he do after the war? I mean, he'd have to go back to, as we saw in the beginning of, of the last episode, oh, we found a strange space creature. We need to treat it in this, you know, benevolent way. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that would be his whole life, you know, even you yeah. know, if he were to keep the captain's chair. Because he'd go, he'd go back to us kind of mundane, boring stuff. And so, you know, what will happen to Stamets after the war? I mean, he could stand some kind of trial for genetic engineering. Or or he ends up, as he'll, he'll mention, you know, getting poked and prodded. Yep. You know, so things won't work out well for Stamets. You know, would... In a sense, Ash Tyler's got the best possible profile because if he serves heroically, he would end the kind of you know question marks over being the war prisoner. Yep. But that you know things don't necessarily have to go great for him. And then you've got you know Michael Burnham, and I think it's plausible to worry about whether or not she goes back to jail or or you know what lies in the store for her. So, you know, the, all the futures that are being contemplated in this episode, good stuff. Yeah, definitely good stuff. So, speaking of Stamets, we're uh, back on the Discovery. Tilly confronts Stamets about his attitude flip-flop. Why is he prickly again? Uh, he tries to dismiss her, but uh, she remains sitting there. He then admits that he is totally cognizant and aware that sometimes, and that other times, not as much. So... We get this interesting use of Tilly in two episodes now in which she's not advancing plot so much as she's advancing character. Yeah. She's got this important role in drawing out, you know, various character issues. And it's it's a fun use of the character because one of the things even though these episodes are denser with material, the character development is so much more important. We're seeing a lot more yeah. arky stuff in which Things aren't being wrapped up with a neat bow at the end of an episode, but all these questions and, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And as I think we'll talk about a little bit later, Saru has a big question mark, you know, about his future as well in this episode. Yeah. Sorry, I had to check something real quick. Okay. So she is asked, uh, Tilly asks, uh, have you talked to uh, the doctor about this? He says he can't tell the doctor because he is his boyfriend. There are two things. The two would come in conflict with each other. He either does his duty and, uh, you know, tells Starfleet, who will then get him poked and prodded and sent away. Uh, he will be punished for not doing his, new, his duty by uh, telling anybody. Either way, he says, I hurt him. Back on the Klingon ship, Laurel asks what uh, Starfleet does with its prisoners. Cornwall tells her that uh, most prisoners are, uh, you know, treated with respect and usually sent back in some sort of peace negotiation. Laurel claims that she wants to defect. So here's the fun of characters like Laurel, right, for both viewers and the writers. Because she sort of can't be trusted. Right. 
So is this some kind of ruse? Is she trying to do something? Is she trying to just get on Discovery to like discover what its you know special thing is? Uh, are we you know does she really want to defect? It's kind of this like you know keeps you intrigued, keeps you involved in what's happening in the in the in the storyline because you just don't know whether or not this is a real thing or not. And not only do we not know even now whether or not any of that was serious, but she may not know. She may be like open to what what you know. How is this going to work out? Either I'm going to get some information for her and work my way back up in the in the Klingon hierarchy, or maybe I get out and now I'll, I'll try to parlay my stuff with the Federation. She's just looking for that opportunity. Obviously, the admiral is dubious. Laurel comes back with, "Well, what other options do you have?" True. She's in the Klingon prison. How else is she going to get out of there? Back to Pavo. Saru now uh, gives us a bunch of spiritual technobabble about the earth and the sky and the pollen spirit things all being one thing. It is a place of peace and harmony while the rest of the galaxy is at war. So this is a kind of a Star Trek theme, right? And the way they utilize it in this story is a kind of, in, in, one, in one way they're playing it straight. But in another way, they're kind of inverting it a little bit, and so it's an inter. It adds a, a newness, a freshness to the way it's played in this episode. Saru is unsure if they are going to be able to finish their mission before Discovery returns, but he's going to give it a try. They decide to call it a night, but Saru can't sleep. He's being kept awake at night by this sound. He staggers out of their tent or whatever that thing is that they created, and finds a, a few more spirits around them. He asks them if they can even just make it stop for just a moment. The pollen slides into his skull, and a montage of thoughts happen. We see him repeating the line from episode 3, where he says that Kelpians were designed to sense the coming of death, and that he senses that now. Then we see the Klingon warfleet. He then asks for help in ending the war in the galaxy. They retreat from Saru's skull, and suddenly he seems at peace. The next morning, Saru comes into the tent, he says that he has brokered a deal. He's already contacted Discovery to tell them of their new circumstances using the transmitter. He says that the uh, he says that the Pavins will grant them whatever they wish. Seems too good to be true, don't you think? And it is. He asks for their communicators, which he then crushes. The Pavins have asked them to stay on the planet. The Pavins have told Saru that he knows how. Uh, the Pavins have told Saru how they have kept in harmony and peace on their planet. It's everything that the Federation stands for, and it can be learned right here. But then I ask, why is Saru being so creepy about it? Commercial. Back from it. I can tell our hosts we have accepted their offer. Well, that's one way to bring it back from a commercial. <laughs> they debate in a very Starfleet way the options of uh, what to do here. Tyler, pulling rank, decides that with or without the Pavin's permission that they need to finish their mission. I like that little debate that they had here. That was very trekky, right? You know, basically taking into account the, uh, not only the uh, prime directive, but also, you know, are we allowed to do this? Are we not allowed to do this? Yeah. What do you think of Because they play all? by the rules. And so the right. fact that the rules figure in here and they're going to do this you know, ethically and in a way that's not going to embarrass them. And, of course, 
as we mentioned with these two characters, the war criminal, I mean, the uh, mutineer, I guess kind of war criminal, uh, but, you know, she's a, she's a mutineer, <laughs> yes. and then he was the captive. They both have an additional incentive to play it straight. Play it by the book. Back on the Klingon ship, uh, Lorel lays out a plan for them escaping. She says she wants to blow up the uh, sarcophagus. Sarcophag, sarcophagus. Sarcophagus? Yes. What am, what am I? I can't talk tonight. Uh, Lorel lays out her plan for escaping and blowing up the sarcophagus ship at the same time. Uh, both, expre- both say to each other that they were not what they expected. Suddenly caught by Cole, Cornwall takes the blade from Lorel and they fight. Lorel wins after throwing Cornwall into some kind of electrical outlet thing. Cornwall looks dead. Lorel lies about Cornwall, attempting to escape, and she promises to dispose of the body. Back on Pavo, Saru, Saru is all excited about not ha- about not making them eat their protein rashes. I thought that was funny. Tyler asks Saru why he was once assaulted by the sound, and now it doesn't seem to bother him. Saru says that he had uh, perceived it wrong. He was not yet in harmony with them. Tyler explains that he doesn't know how to stop fighting or how to give in. He just doesn't want to defeat the Klingons. He wants to destroy them. He can't give up. What's the alternative? asks Saru. I will suffer to make them suffer. Saru then attempts to make uh, Tyler feel the harmony of the planet. He picks up a green glowing rock and hands it to him. It's kryptonite, I think. But anyway. Uh, but all it does is make Saru realize that Tyler has been trying to distract him and realize that Burnham has left to finish their mission. Burnham has made it all the way to the crystal antenna. So I guess this is why we learned all that uh, important Kelpian information at the beginning, because it comes into play right here. Cut to Laurel, still dragging the am- admiral behind her by a foot. He finds a, uh, she finds a tomb with Klingons piled in it, and she knows them all. So I was wondering, are these supposed to be, you know, other captains that we know, other houses, or are these just members of the uh, sarcophagus crew that just got wiped out by Cole? These are her friends. Which is probably worse for her, yes. She swears to avenge them. As she walks out of the room, the camera hangs on Cornwall's dead body. Dun, dun, dun. Commercial. So, is Cornwall dead? Right, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know that by the at the end of this episode, that's the last shot we have of her. Yeah, so I mean, on the one hand, it seems like she died, but you never know with these these Trixie Klingons, right? Or this Trixie show. Right. So <laughs> you know, she could be just you know plotting for the future, but it's hard to say. Back at it. Back on um, Pavo, it appears that Burnham has gotten off a transmission before she looks up and sees Saru running uh, running for her. Looks like it's not just the the hooves that make him run fast, but it's also CGI. (laughs) (laughs) He tries to break the computer that she is using to transmit the message, and then they fight. I even wrote down, how is this harmony, Saru? Burnham is knocked down, but he struggles toward her uh, toward her phaser, phaser, which was knocked loose. But Saru pulls her back by the leg. She instead grabs a stick and knocks herself free with a shot across his face. 
While Saru takes a few more shots at the terminal, Burnham has made it to the phaser and fires a few stun shots back at him. And she asks the question I just asked. Is this what harmony and balance look like, Saru? Where is the peace? So normally, we see episodes like this. I'm thinking of the one where there was the storm and, you know, creatures inhabit um, the Enterprise Away team. But Riker had, like, broken his leg or something, so he didn't get occupied. And Troy and O'Brien and somebody else go back, and they're actually these spirits. And at one point, they try to pretend that they were, like, the lost crew. And then... Remember that episode? Nope. That doesn't ring any bell to me. So this is an episode where... Then there's also a an original series episode where the the crew gets captured by psychic beings who like trade places, trade bodies with Kirk. And so up till now, that's the one where he's like playing a woman or something, right? So up till now we've seen, you know, when characters are compromised by the planet or beings on the planet, they are taken over. They are working against their will. And in this right. case, Saru is not really compromised in that way. He's compromised, but he's compromised because he wants to stay on Pavo. He wants this peace and serenity. And so he's he's really fighting because he wants to stay. And they want to they yeah. go back. And he's unwilling to. Yes. I think that that reveal later is very interesting where he said, you know, where he basically was like, no, I wasn't. I was totally myself. I just like, you know, loved being in that moment where I wasn't afraid for the first time in my life. That just says so, not only does that show so much about Saru's character, but obviously I think that this might set up some kind of change in right. him. So that's... That will continue on in the He's series. getting arc material. He's going to, you know, there's going to be some inflection point here yeah. in which he will change for the better or for worse or maybe a little of both. Which again, for better or for worse... You know, the fact that, that the the original series was so episodic, mm-hmm. that stuff like this was just like, by the next episode, they've got right. over it. You know, you and I have already, in watching some of the original series episodes, have seen, you know, episodes where, you know, Bones will have this, like, tragic thing happen. And by, you know, at the beginning of the next episode, it's having a good time with, uh, you know, the <laughs> Spock and Kirk. <laughs> yeah, everyone seems happy, you know, like, do-do-do-do-do. Yep, exactly. Whereas here we're getting much more whatever happens. Well, for one thing, they're giving us the last time on Star Trek Discovery. And they bring yep. it up and they remind us and then they work with that stuff. So yep, it's, exactly. That's why I love those previously on. It's they're very, so fun. very much the opposite of the episodic television. So back to the fight. Uh, Saru yells at at Burnham saying, you keep taking things from me. You keep taking them. Then, in a blue puff, Tyler appears. Saru falls to the ground. He apologizes to the, pol- to the pollen. Burnham speaks to the spirits. He says, we want what you want, harmony. But we are fighting an enemy that doesn't share the belief. We need your help. Which I thought was a great argument. 
You know, I, I thought that that was, uh, you know, she's like, we want the peace and harmony that you can give us. The problem is, is that we're fighting somebody who doesn't want us to have that. So I think I thought that that was a great that was a great argument sure. on her part. She's so smart. However, Saru follows with another excellent counterpoint, which is that uh, if the Klingons find out that you have helped us, they will come here to destroy you. But in the end, it looks like the spirits have decided to help. They change the transmitter and help the Federation. Discovery then shows up and beams them up. Saru is now a shell of his former self. And here's the scene we were just talking about. Burnham says, uh, uh, Burnham tells him, well, you weren't yourself, but Saru assures us that he was. For the first time ever, one of his species did not feel fear. Pavo had showed him the way. So then I, you could almost argue then that he really wasn't himself because he was, for good or worse, he was still under the influence of the pollen. He was just more in control of his actions, you know? Right, and he was... Trying to think of a he go was ahead. out of his element and he was experiencing something he's not supposed to experience. In that sense, right. it's more like he was drugged or there was a narcotic and Yeah, yeah, that that was kind of the that was kind of the like the thing I was thinking too. But he feels regret for it in a way that, you know, when Troy is freed of the possessing spirit or whatever, she's not feeling guilty. She's like, yeah. oh, I'm free. You know, I get to be myself again. And this goes to one of the core, you know, concepts in Star Trek is identity. What is your identity? And yeah. so Saru's kind of got to wrestle with what his identity is and and what his and he's the first of his you know Kelpian and Star Starfleet. And so I mean, he's already got a navigation problem, and yeah. it has been dealt a little bit of a. The thing that makes you spin, a twist. Uh, he's been thrown a little bit off course. Back on the ship of the dead, Lorel tells Cole that the Discovery possesses a technology that no one else does. Cole says he was hoping for more from her. Lorel says, well, if you cannot see my value, then I will take my leave of you. But Cole stops her. She walks back towards him and kneels. She squares her loyalty to the House of Kor. And Kor paints her face. But apparently her lies were, visit, were visible. Cole does not believe her, and instead has her taken away. Then, the Klingons receive a transmission from Pavo, an invitation. So they set course to Pavo. Oh boy, what has Pavo done? Back on Discovery, we find out that the crew has discovered the same thing. The Pavans have changed their plan. Burnham concludes that the Pobbins were actually trying to uh, are trying to bring the two sides together to bring harmony to discord. And now the Klingons and Cole are on their way. Of the Pobbins, Burnham says, we have to protect them, sir. We have to fight. Dun-dun-dun! Well, this leaves our heroes in quite a pickle, for sure. We'll have to see what next week brings. So as we go to watch the uh, the trailer for next week, we find out that it's, oh my God, the fall finale already. Man, this is just getting fun. Can't believe this. And it looks like we're going to have a cliffhanger or two probably, right? Like what about Stamets? Is he going to make it? Oh, yeah. You know? I, th- I, think, it'll, I think it'll be so cliffhanger yeah. heavy. I think every character is going to be left. We still We don't know if. If the Admiral is alive or dead, yep. and without knowing that, we don't know whether Lorca's career is hanging by a thread. Yep. 
you know, we don't know what's going to happen with, we got a romance, we got people's careers, we got, we got their health, we got Laurel, we got, their, we got Cole, you know, we got all those Klingons, yeah. where the heck has Voke been, is he going to come and save Laurel, like, what is happening? It's going to be amazing. So friends, but don't fret, because our show will not be disappearing. Next week we'll be doing our uh, cool fall finale episode. I'm sure we're going to be talking about many things that uh, not only about uh, the episode itself, but it's the show so far. We're going to hit one of those, or we're going to talk about a bunch of that next week as well. I'm sure next week's going to be a, a doubly big episode as we have much to talk about, I'm so sure. But after that, we're going to go ahead and hit the original series. That's the way we started this all in the first place. We we're going to do the original series, and then, boom, next thing you know, Discovery's starting. Oh, my goodness. So uh, in two weeks, yeah, in two weeks from now, we're going to be uh, starting the uh, original series run. Uh, we're going to be going in the orders in which they were filmed, too, because we're going to be talking about a bunch of the behind-the-scenes stuff that actually helped shape the way that uh, uh, the original series as we know it now. And a lot of that had to do with budgets and that kind of stuff, things that were going on behind the uh, scenes. So uh, uh, a lot of uh, what we find and we know of Trek were came to us because of those behind-the-scenes things. So we want to give, uh, give uh, those things as they occur in each episode. So we're going to be going in filmed order, and of course that means we're going to be starting off with the original episode, The Cage, as well. But that'll be in two weeks, because next week, as I said, we've got to hit that fall finale, which is going to be so exciting, I can't even wait to see what is going to happen. But until then, thanks for listening. Find us on the iTunes. Leave us a, a nice little note saying how much you like the show. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, the YouTubes. We are all over the map. So anywhere you want to find us, we will be there. But until then, I am Matt from Austin saying farewell. And as always, Ken from Houston, say goodbye, Ken. Peace and long life. That is it. And we'll see you all next week for the big finale. Five pineapples. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> Lots of fun.